Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, April 14th, 2023. It was on this day in 754 that the Creercy Declaration took place in which Pope Stephen III confided in King Pepin of the Franks defense of the Holy Church of God and of the Roman people, excluding Byzantium. And after defeating the Lombards, Pepin gave the Roman land to the papacy, forming what would become the Papal States. But on this day, two other occurrences took place, which perhaps you are much more familiar with. It was on this day and also on a Friday, Friday, April 14th, 1865, that Abraham Lincoln was shot in Ford's Theater. He would pass away the next day of his wound on April 15th, 1865. It was also on this day in 1912 at 11.40 p.m. that the RMS Titanic struck an iceberg in the North Atlantic and just as Lincoln was shot on this day and died the next morning, so too the Titanic struck the iceberg on this day and sank the next morning at 2.20 a.m. on April 15th. Well, given the first of these two more familiar days, two more familiar events, I thought I would talk about uh, what many would consider to be a crisis in this country at this time, because Abraham Lincoln was shot at the end of the Civil War. The Civil War had ended just a few days before his assassination, and there was a lot of unfinished business with regard to the reunification of the country that needed to take place. And many people speak today of the many political, social, moral, ethical divisions of this country, some of which I must say I believe are fostered by the political leadership of this country and I think in the end, they are going to have to answer for that, if not in this world, then in the next. But many people see coming another American civil war, whether it be over abortion or over religion and non-religion, whether it's over the issue of transgenderism or other issues of morality, human sexuality, and so on. We do see a great divide in this nation in which one side is very much bullying of the other side. And in many ways, it's going to take the courage of the other side to start pushing back. Otherwise, we're not going to see things improve. But one thing I'd like to address, one area of this divide in this country, is in the whole question of faith. Because so many of the traditional values that are being set aside are traditional values that our nation was founded upon and which are based on the Christian faith or the Judeo-Christian faith, Judeo-Christian principles. And what we're seeing now, especially as people seek to tear down this country, perhaps even to undo this country, to tear down its history to degrade its history, to tear down the reputations of our founding fathers because of one 
folly that they had, which was perhaps the folly of many people of their time, even if it's not of our time today, although the leadership of our country certainly is far from perfect. Any leadership of any country is far from perfect at any given time. It's just, what are the imperfections? Well, that depends on the era of which we are speaking. But being a priest, having just celebrated Easter, and as we are now in the midst of the 50 days of Easter, I'd like to address the great divide in this country with regard to the matter of faith versus non-faith and how many people in this country believe that separation of church and state means a secular society. Separation of church and state means the church and religion must stay completely out of the public square and the public eye. And in many ways, we see it almost mentally being ignored because a few months ago when Elon Musk took over Twitter and was opening up Twitter so that people can see the inner workings of it and its activities with regard to uh, accusations of censorship, many people, including many conservative news commentators, were saying Elon Musk is protecting or restoring our first freedom in the United States. And many people speak of our first freedom as freedom of speech. And they say our freedom of speech is enshrined in the Bill of Rights and the First Amendment. And they say it is our first freedom. And I'd like to point out, and you may have heard me mention it before, that if you read the Bill of Rights and you read that First Amendment, freedom of speech is not our first freedom. It's not our second freedom. At best, it's our third freedom. I hope, at least at some time in your life, you have read the Declaration of Independence, that you have read the Constitution and read the amendments, or at least the Bill of Rights, which are the first 10 amendments to the Constitution. They've become very prominent in discussion these days, especially since the overturning of Roe versus Wade, which did not outlaw abortion, but kicked it back to the states according to the standards set out by the 10th Amendment, the last amendment of the Bill of Rights, those first 10 amendments to the Constitution. But if you've ever read the First Amendment, note where freedom of speech is placed and what is placed before it. Now, these amendments, and actually no single word, phrase, paragraph, concept, no part of our founding documents were frivolously composed. They were deliberately placed there as a result of discussion, drafts, redrafts, rough drafts, debate, compromise. Every word, every phrase, every piece of punctuation was deliberately placed according to the work of our founding fathers, which were not a single individual, but a collective of founding fathers. This was not the product of a dictator. This was a product of a group of men, very highly intelligent, very resolved, some of them religious, some of them not, all of whom wanted to put principles important to them, as well as principles important to the founding of this country and what we were declaring independence from and what we were establishing our nation on, had their say in the development of these documents. Every word 
Every phrase is deliberate. And so in reading the First Amendment, this was not just put together frivolously. Note where freedom of speech lies and note what comes before it. And yes, there is a right that comes before the freedom of speech. The First Amendment to the United States Constitution reads, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now I'm going to reread it, but I'm also going to note the punctuation in this statement. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, comma, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, semicolon, or of abridging the freedom of speech, comma, or of the press, semicolon, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble, comma, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, there are a number of rights listed in these individually, but they are also grouped according to the semicolon. For example, we have, before freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and it's in two parts. There's the Establishment Clause, Congress, and of course, by extension, the government, shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, comma, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's the free exercise clause. Then we have the semicolon, in which freedom of speech is next. So it is our third freedom, or you could say it's our second freedom if we go by the semicolons. But it's also linked and lumped with freedom of the press. There's a comma between freedom of speech and freedom of the press. And then the last freedoms are after that second semicolon. So you could say that freedom of speech is third to the two clauses that outline freedom of religion, or you can say freedom of speech with freedom of the press is second after the two clauses of freedom of religion. Either way, freedom of speech is firmly placed behind freedom of religion. Now that's not to say that freedom of speech is second to freedom of religion or diminished because it is second or third to freedom of religion. But freedom of speech is not our first freedom in the Constitution. Freedom of religion is our first freedom. And what is the freedom from? It's not freedom from religion, it's freedom of religion. And the freedom of religion is a freedom from one, an establishment of religion, Congress, forcing a state religion, and two, it's freedom from Congress enacting laws to prohibit the free exercise of religion. So this is not freedom from religion, it's freedom of religion from the government imposition of it. Let me rephrase it. This is not freedom of the government from religion, it's not freedom of our society from religion. It's freedom of religion from encroachments of the government. 
whether it be of a state religion, an established religion, or prohibiting the free exercise of religion. Now, what do many people today want to try and do? They want to try and use the Establishment Clause as a means to negate the Free Exercise Clause. So we can't have religious symbols in public, like a manger scene in front of a city hall or in a park, because of freedom of religion, which they call separation of church and state. If this is freedom of religion from government action against it to dominate or, pro or prohibit its free exercise, then the separation of church and state in the American understanding of it is not a protection of the state from the church. It's a protection of the church from the state, which means atheism and people who would seek to abolish religion in this country in favor of an atheist secular society have no constitutional grounds because the freedom is not freedom of atheism. Atheism has no rights in this first freedom. It's religion that is protected, not atheism. If you don't have a religion, you're naturally free to not profess a religion. You are free to be atheist. But when it comes to choosing between religion and atheism, religion has that preferential treatment and those special privileges and special protections in our Constitution, because this is what our founding fathers wanted. Why? Because people of a particular religion will have a particular ethics that will govern their behavior, including their behavior as voters and especially as government leaders. There's the old phrase, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. The ethics and morals that go with professing a religious faith is a curb on that. You're less likely to see a tyrannical government if the officials of that government are religious and as such exercise religious morality and govern from the basis and guidance of their religious principles. The only thing they can't do is force all of us to take on a particular religion, be it Catholicism, Judaism, Protestant Christianity, or atheism. But there's nothing to prevent any political leader from professing their faith in God and governing according to that faith. That's not establishing a religion. And there's nothing to prevent the federal government from supporting through funding or public endorsement religious organizations and the work that they do. There should be nothing wrong with providing some funding to say the Salvation Army because of the work that they do for the needy or to Catholic charities or to any other Christian organization or other religious organization that does work for the local community. They should be supported by the government. This is what the Founding Fathers wanted. What they cannot do as a governing body is force you to accept a religion. But free exercise of religion is not freedom of worship, it's freedom of religion. Freedom to worship as we choose and to live as we choose according to the tenets and moral principles and laws and principles of that religion. Provided, of course, it doesn't encroach on the rights of someone else. Obviously, you can't sacrifice children or, for that matter, animals to the gods. There are limits to that. For example, a few years ago, there was, uh, it was in the late 90s, I think it was a ranch in Wyoming, a buffalo ranch, in which a white buffalo was 
born to one of the buffaloes. And of course, the Native American tribes see a white buffalo as something very sacred, something very important. And there was a Native American group that tried to assert their freedom of religion and saying we should have that buffalo because it's important to us religiously. Well, to simply take it would be to encroach upon the property rights of the owner of that buffalo. So that would be illegal and is not protected by freedom of religion. However, they were free to purchase it, provided the owner was willing to sell it. So these kinds of things are limits to the freedom of religion, very practical things. Just like freedom of speech, you can't speak in such a way that causes danger, like shouting fire in a crowded theater. But hate speech, which nowadays simply means speech that I don't like or speech that the establishment doesn't like, is protected by the Constitution. If you don't like it, you can walk away. If you don't like it, you don't have to listen to it. Because one can easily take preaching the tenets of Christianity or any tenets of religion that's contrary to the current zeitgeist of the time as hate speech. For example, a Christian church worth its salt would assert that marriage is between a man and a woman. You can't ban that as hate speech. Freedom of religion and freedom of speech protects it. Christianity does not go along with the so-called same-sex, well, I'll call them unions, because it's not marriage. Marriage is a complementary joining of two things that are not the same, like opera is a marriage of theater and music, not theater and theater. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Civil unions of same-sex is something different, but some would consider this hate speech, but it's protected. Freedom of religion to profess the faith and the tenets and moral principles that come from it and freedom of speech to express it in appropriate ways. But the bottom line here is, our Constitution protects religion. It protects religion. And anyone who would seek to violate that protection is subject to law enforcement. They protect it through law enforcement and, of course, our national defense, protecting the freedom we have in our country through the military and anyone who would seek to encroach upon that through local law enforcement. But it is not a constitutional endorsement of atheism. It is not a limit to religion. The First Amendment is a limit to government. And that limit of government protects first and foremost freedom of religion. And that limit to government also protects our freedom of speech and the press, the right for people to peaceably assemble whether it's to worship or to demonstrate in favor of things we would like to see develop in our society and to petition the government for redress of grievances. The First Amendment is not a limit to the people. It's a limit to the government. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Very simple, very simple amendment. Very straightforward. But how often and how brazenly do we misinterpret that? And so, when we are looking at what children are being taught in public schools, and Christian families, Christian parents raising objections because it is contrary to the laws and morals they profess and believe as Christian people, 
for them to be called public safety risks, and in some extreme cases, terrorists or white supremacists, that response to them is completely in violation of the freedom of religion, and I wish religious people would stand up and defend that. Not violently, obviously, because we have freedom of speech, we can defend it by persuasion and by debate. A couple of weeks ago, we had that horrible tragedy in Nashville at a Christian school in which three children and three adults were killed. And we see in some news media outlets a sympathy given toward the shooter, saying that they were probably driven to it because of persecution by extreme Christian beliefs. The belief being that there is no transgender. A man born a man is a man. A woman born a woman is a woman. God made them male and female. And the great debate over gender fluidity and transgenderism is one of the hottest debates we've ever seen in our nation. And many cling to religious values and principles in dealing with that. Your gender is the first gift that God gave to you. Let me say that again. Your gender is the first gift that God gave to you. Maybe the second life is the first gift. But as a human being, alive, your gender is the first gift that God gave to you. Who are you to decide you need to be someone else? And I find it interesting because on the one hand, in the gay movement, people will say, I need to be the way God made me. But then we say the exact opposite on the transgender issue. But there's a point to be made. God made us male and female. We need to cherish that. But many want to shut down churches. And we're hearing in the news lately that law enforcement, the FBI, or at least the, um, the Justice Department, may at least the rumor is, have undercover agents in churches. Who knows why? Listening to what is being preached? But just look at parents in school board meetings. Christian parents being shut down, arrested, silenced, microphones being turned off, being accused of being bigots, and engaging in hate speech simply because they profess a religious faith. But if people are offended that they're professing a religious faith, my answer to that is, so what? Religion is protected in the Constitution. It is our first freedom. And we need to start behaving as if it is our first freedom. As a priest, perhaps, whose profession is religion, yeah, it obviously means a lot to me, but it should mean everything to everyone who professes a religious faith, which is the vast, vast, vast majority of Americans. They may not profess a religion, be a part of an organized religion. I suppose, I suppose in that case they prefer disorganized religion, but that's another podcast for another time. But most of us believe in God. Most of us believe in standards established by God. And most of us want to live according to God's law and God's standards so that we can be and remain in God's graces. 
Then there are those who don't believe in God and have a great hostility toward people who do. There are those who think that they are God and as such can change their gender or change the weather by imposing standards with regard to environmentalism. And they get very upset with people who know that they are not God and people who don't profess that they are God. And of course, the state does not like the fact that we believe in God. The state would not like the fact that this First Amendment protects religion. Because what the First Amendment reminds the state is that there is an authority higher than the state. Without religion, the state is the ultimate authority and the ultimate arbiter of rights and human morality and right and wrong. If the state says it's right, it's right. If the state says it's wrong, it's wrong. And freedom of religion reminds them, no, there is a higher standard. And we see that higher standard evoked quite a few times in the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence, just in the preamble of it, not the preamble of the, of the um, Constitution, but the opening paragraph and the opening sentence of the Declaration of Independence makes reference to nature and nature's God that entitle us to independence, that speak of rights endowed by their creator, not endowed by the government, endowed by their creator, and in declaring independence at the end, it relies on divine providence and appeals to the supreme judge for the rectitude of their intentions. Four times in the Declaration of Independence. Again, nothing is written frivolously in any of these documents. The Founding Fathers four times made reference to God. Nature and nature's God, endowed by their creator, the supreme judge, and divine providence. This is not a group of Founding Fathers that wanted an atheist society. A secular one, maybe, but not atheist. They wanted a society populated by religious people by people who professed a faith in God. And as such, there would be no religious test for any government positions, judicial, elected, executive, or otherwise. We see that in the Constitution and in the First Amendment to the Bill of Rights. Our first freedom is freedom of religion. So let's not be ashamed of that. And let's recognize where religion, exercising its freedom, has affected this country, not the least of which is the abolitionist movement was at its heart a Christian movement. It was Christians, free Christians, behaving freely, wanting to assert their Christian value of equality of all people and that no one has the right to deprive anyone of liberty that led to the eventual abolition of slavery and leading to a nation now that has this religious principle so ingrained in our culture, even among atheists, that we can't ever fathom anyone ever at any time in history wanting to have slaves. Even though the vast majority of human history, slavery was a factor. It's only been in the last couple hundred years. But to all those who keep reminding us that, yes, this country had slavery at its founding, I'd also like to remind them, we also abolished slavery 158 years ago. And the movement that led to abolition was at its heart a religious one, a Christian one. Just as today, the movement to abolish abortion and reassert the right to life, which is our first of rights in the Declaration of Independence, before liberty, 
The right to life movement in this country is at its heart a religious one, a Christian one. But people want to put that aside because we don't want to accept their religious principles. Well, so what? You accepted it when it came to abolition. There were many who resisted it, but they got it anyway. There are many who will resist this, but they'll get it anyway. God willing, before too long. And if people profess their religious principles, we will see this over, over, uh, overthrown, abortion overturned and abolished in this country even sooner. But it's free people freely exercising their religion in freedom that will keep this country intact, and the Founding Fathers knew that. So let's not be afraid or ashamed to profess a religious faith. And if people think you're not smart, you're not intelligent, if you're religious, just simply say, look, I'm too educated to be atheist. And then let them wrap their heads around that. It might not convince them, but it will at least confuse them, which is the next best thing. I'm too educated to be atheist. And the Constitution does not pr protect atheism. The Constitution does not give special rights to atheists. And the Constitution does not call for a secular society that has freedom from religion. But the Constitution protects and gives special rights and protections to religion. Because the principle is not freedom of the government and society from religion, but it's freedom of religion from the encroachment of the government, specifically Congress, but by extension the government. And when we have even our leaders in Congress and in government positions exercising their freedom of religion as they are leading the country, allowing their religion to inform the morals and principles from which they will govern, that is not imposing a state church because you have, at least in the Congress, 435 members of Congress, all of whom profess different levels of religiosity, some Catholic, some Protestant, a couple Muslim, a few Jewish people. We have a president who presumably is Catholic. Even Abraham Lincoln, who had no professed religion, was among the most religious of presidents and really put the Civil War through the lens of religion. Just read his second inaugural address. But when we allow our religion to affect how we govern, then all these various religions having a say in the government would be like all the founding fathers with all their different principles having a say in our founding, and it will strengthen the laws and legislatures that come forth from the Congress and the leadership of those who lead us as executives and judges who judge us according to the law, but also informed from the basis of a religious principle that informs the morality and the dignity and the efficacy and the substance of law. If we allow our religion to dictate how we live, to guide how we govern, then we will see this country come back without a civil war. But as St. Athanasius once said, if the world is against truth, then I am against the world. And we as a people of faith must stand up for those rights. And because we are religious, we know that this civil war is a cultural war, not a hot war of battles, but a cultural war, a war of ideologies. And because we are religious, we will not resort to violence in dealing with those who want to do away with religion or who think they are God themselves. So let us not be afraid or ashamed to profess that faith. And let us go forth in this civil conflict, not war, but civil conflict, the social political conflict in which we find ourselves. And if we're true to that faith, 
and allow ourselves to vote and to govern according to the principles of that faith, it will not lead to an establishment of religion. It will lead back to an ethical government in which the rights of everybody are respected, cherished, and protected. Because religion is our first freedom. If that falls, who knows how long it will be before our freedom of speech, the press, to peaceably assemble, and to petition the government will fall. It won't be in a vacuum. If freedom of religion ever falls in this country, it will be because the other freedoms have already fallen or they will not be long in following. Freedom of religion is the key. It is either the first line of defense of our other freedoms or it will be the last holdout. So be strong, be proud, be resolved, don't be ashamed, don't be weak, and be ready to stand up, not just for your faith, but for that freedom that we cherish as our first freedom in this country. And then perhaps we will see our country move in the direction we need to go. So those are my thoughts from this week. Hope they make sense. A happy Easter to everybody. Sorry I've been away, but it's a busy time. But keep that in mind on this day in which we remember the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, who protected liberty, even among those who had been enslaved. And in remembering Abraham Lincoln and his sacrifice, what he stood for in terms of liberty, let us do our part in standing up for freedom of religion, the right to life, and rights endowed not by our government, but by our God. And unless we're religious, we cannot acknowledge that basic principle that are in our founding documents. In short, if we are not religious, we are in fact less American because the principles of America don't protect atheism, they protect religion. All the best to you and with any luck, I will talk to you again soon. Thank you.